The Heavenly Vision is a hymn written in 1918 by Helen Lemmel. Most of us know the song by the first line of its chorus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Let me read to you the chorus. The chorus of that song says this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think some of you might struggle with what I'm about to say. You, some of you certainly will at least initially disagree with what I'm about to say, but I'm not sure that Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, would agree with Helen's chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I don't think he'd disagree with that. Look full in his wonderful face. I don't think he would say that any differently. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. I don't think Solomon would say that. That seems to me, and I don't know what she meant for sure when she wrote that, but that seems to me to say that the Things of earth, when you turn your eyes to Jesus, when you look full in his wonderful face, that when you do that, the things of earth will be enjoyed less. But I think Solomon would say the things of earth will be enjoyed more when you turn to Jesus. When you look to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And then maybe Solomon would say. And the things of earth will grow strangely bright. In the light of his glory and grace. Solomon in this book. We've talked about this before. If you've been here. Solomon is clearly advocating for the enjoyment of life. He is advocating for the enjoyment of your life and the enjoyment of the things of earth that she mentions in her song. He's charging us and challenging us to enjoy this life, to enjoy the things of this earth, which I would say is something that we're not very good at as Christians. We have a difficult time as Christians enjoying this life and enjoying the things of this earth. We either don't enjoy them or we enjoy them detached from God or we enjoy them and feel guilty about them. But we have a difficult relationship as Christians with the things of this earth. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We know that and we get that. But what Solomon is saying is taste and see that the Lord's gifts are good. The Lord is good, absolutely, and God's gifts are good. So we tend to either not enjoy the things of earth enough. And some of you are already nervous just hearing me say that. This sounds worldly. Sounds secular, maybe. It sounds humanistic. Some of us don't enjoy the things of earth enough or, as I said before, we enjoy the things of earth divorced from God. 
we fall off the fence. The Christian life is lived on a fence all the time, right? It's always in tension, and there's always multiple ways you can fall off, and it requires balance. But we can fall off the fence either into ingratitude on the one side or idolatry on the other side. So there is a lot of this being addressed in Ecclesiastes. There is a lot more to come that we're going to work through in Ecclesiastes on this subject, but it's going to get starkly introduced today at the end of our text. So I would say what we have in front of us is some dangerous truth. I mean, we really need to listen and we really need to understand it and we really need to make sure that we don't say things that it's not saying. It's a, it's a dangerous text, but it's good and I'm excited to go through it with all of you today. But before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we come to you by the Holy Spirit and in the name of your son Jesus to ask for help. Help me to preach well. Help all of us to hear well, not just with our ears, but with our minds, with our hearts. And again, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. If you're using one of our church Bibles, which you're free to take with you if you don't have one of your own, you'll find today's text on page 357. The title of this sermon series is Life Under the Sun. That's where we are, you and I, living under the sun, and that's what this book is about. The author's description of life under the sun is this, life is vanity. That is his description of life over and over again. Life is vanity, which literally means life is mist, which is full of meaning to say that life is vanity, life is mist. Life is fleeting. Life is monotonous. And its events and their timing are inscrutable. Whether you have a lot or a little, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are healthy or sick, this gets to all of you. Life is vanity. That's Solomon's description. But he also offers a prescription. And his prescription is this. Enjoy it. So the experience is life is vanity and the exhortation is enjoy it. The reality is life is vanity and the response is enjoy it. In one sentence, here's the message of Ecclesiastes so far. All of life is vanity and yet those who fear God are able to enjoy it. As they know and trust in the greatness and goodness of God. Now, that two part message, right? That's a two part message. Life is vanity, and yet we should enjoy it. That two part message is on full display in our text today. You may have already caught that when. Pastor Greg read it. The description and the prescription are here. The experience and the exhortation. The reality and the response. So there's two sections here. The first section, verses 8 through 17, will describe a reality. And the second section, verses 18 through 20, will prescribe a response. So let's dig in. Let's begin with some hard Reality. These are things that Solomon's already talked about before, but he revisits them here. And we'll take this first section one paragraph at a time. Most of your Bibles have three little paragraphs. We'll take them one at a time. Here's the reality. Verse 8 and 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. So Solomon has seen, and most of you have seen, wicked governments, which is what he's talking about. That's what he describes here. 
you have a province or a city or a county or a region, and then over those people is a high official, not an elected official. And then over him is another ruler, and over him is another ruler, and so on. And beneath these non-elected officials, justice is often violated and people are oppressed. And that is because the king could not care less about cultivated fields. We're told in verse 9. He's after power and wealth. So this is happening, you know, this this is happening all over the world today. It is a difficult and sad reality. But what does the professor say about it? He says a brief commentary on it. What does he say in verse 8? If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness... Do not be amazed at the matter. In other words, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised when you see this injustice and this oppression. Do not be shocked. This is one of the differences between someone with a secular worldview and someone with a biblical worldview. When someone with a biblical worldview sees bad in people... He or she is not surprised. They're not shocked. The wind isn't taken out of them. They're not, they're not amazed. And that is because someone with a biblical worldview understands the sinful nature of mankind. So it's always sad to see this, but as Solomon says, it is never shocking to those who understand sin. Okay, next paragraph. Verses 10 through 12. He, so we're moving from a province to a person now. He's moving from the national level to the personal level. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So Solomon's talking about the love of money, the love of possessions, the love of stuff. He described it on a national level in verses 8 and 9, and here on a personal level. As human beings, I'm sure you are aware of this, we have this natural desire to acquire things. And it's never enough. We have this natural desire to acquire things, wealth and possessions especially, and it's never enough. John D. Rockefeller was one of the richest men in the world, if not the richest. And he was once asked how much money was enough. And he famously replied, just a little bit more. The money didn't satisfy because it's never enough. I don't watch The Simpsons, but apparently Homer Simpson once said to his boss, Mr. Burns, you're the richest man I know. And his boss said, yes, but I'd trade it all for more. (laughs) Money doesn't satisfy. Because money is never enough. So that's what the professor says in verse 10. And then he gives a couple reasons why money doesn't satisfy. Verse 11, if you have it, other people want it. That's a problem. If you have it, other people want it. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And then second, if you have, the other thing he says, reason, is is if you have a lot of wealth and possessions, you don't sleep as well because you have more to worry about. If you have a lot of wealth and possessions, you don't sleep as well at night because you have more to worry about. Sweet, he said, is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Okay, one more little paragraph describing some of the hard realities in this vain life. Verse 13 through 17. There is a grievous evil... 
that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. So he's giving an example now of the evil of the love of money. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. He's giving an example. This rich man gets caught up in a bad deal, and he loses everything. And he has a family. He has children, and he leaves his family destitute. He had much, and now he has nothing, which is obviously a sad story. But here's the reality. Solomon goes on to say in verse 15, if he didn't lose it then, he'd lose it eventually when he dies. So whether you lose it now or you lose it later, the wealth and the possessions, it's only a matter of time. Verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Job understood this. Remember, Job said, after losing everything in Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Apostle Paul also understood this. He wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. This is all over the Bible. You and I cannot take it with you. When you die, look around. Think of everything that you have. Think of the stuff that you have, the money that you have, the wealth that you have, the possessions that you have, the people that you have, the relationships that you have. When you die, you won't take any of it with you. Nothing. Okay, what is the heading over all of this? Life is Vanity. This is what Solomon does. He goes back and forth, back and forth with a description and a prescription, with the reality and what our response should be, with the experience and the exhortation. And he's doing it again here. And he's reminding us of these hard realities in life. So that concludes the first section. It just leaves one more paragraph where we're going to spend most of our time. One more paragraph here. He has reminded us of some of the harshest realities of this vain life. And now he gives an unexpected exhortation. So let's read verses 18 through 20. And we'll spend some time thinking about this. Behold. What I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Is that unexpected to you? Life is vanity, Solomon has said. His book over and over again makes this clear. Life is vanity. Our experience makes this clear. The first section of the passage we're reading today makes this clear. And now in verses 18 through 20, how should we respond? 
enjoy it. That's not what I would expect to read. I would expect Solomon to say something more like, life is vanity, but endure it. But his message is very different. Life is vanity. Life is vanity. It's fleeting. It's monotonous. Its ways are inscrutable. It's difficult. It's painful. It's full of suffering. So you need to endure it. And you can endure it with God's help. Often that's even what we're encouraging one another to do. And and often that's as far as we get in what we're encouraging one another to do. That is not Solomon's prescription. That's not his message. That's not where he's at at the end of his life. The response that he tells us to have is to enjoy this life. Many commentators have assumed he's being sarcastic here. They just think there's no way he can mean that. If life is really vanity and those things are really true and he just said it again and that's certainly my experience, then he's, he's joking around. He's being sarcastic. Like, well, what are you going to do? Enjoy your life? But what Solomon says here, it'll become more and more clear. He absolutely means. He says exactly what he means here. What is good and fitting. Literally, what is good and beautiful. Christian, is to enjoy this life and everything in it. Verse 18. Isn't this what he says? Verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and what? Find enjoyment, not endurance. That's another message here. It's find enjoyment. Verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot. And what does he call us to do? Rejoice. Not just endure. Rejoice. Verse 20. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So find enjoyment. Solomon says rejoice. He says Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. But also, taste and see that the Lord's gifts are good. Whether you are rich or poor. This morning. Whether you came here with a lot or little. Whether you came here sick or healthy. Good relationships or bad relationships, good job or bad job, find enjoyment. Toil, he says in verse 18, enjoy it. The word toil means hard, painful life. Enjoy it. Wealth and possessions. Maybe that's not your, maybe it's wealth and possessions you have. Verse 19. Enjoy it. Solomon says. Whatever it is in your life that God has given you, enjoy it. Find enjoyment in it. Rejoice. Again, this isn't just in your devotional time when it's you, your Bible, And you're praying and you're enjoying God. This isn't just when you come here on a Sunday morning and you're singing songs and you're praying and you're reading, right? Direct communion with God. You're enjoying God. This is something different that also glorifies God. It's enjoying the life that God has given you. Let me list some things from my life. I started writing these. Some of these things are going to sound totally absurd to you. Like why would anyone find enjoyment in that? And I could have gone on and on and on. But here's just some practical examples of things that I know I need to find enjoyment in. Things like tickle fights. My sons, a couple of my sons, they want to have tickle fights. No, not right now, not right now. I've got dad's sore. I'm old. I always get hurt. 
And then I, and I have a tickle fight. And what am I thinking halfway through the tickle fight? This is the greatest thing ever. This is amazing. Funny television shows, predictable Hallmark movies, creeks, a beautiful wife, ice cold beer in a frosted glass on a hot day, gardening, really gardening, lasagna. Oh, my wife's, amen if you have had my wife's lasagna, cupcakes. Most of you have had my wife's cupcakes. Listening to a baseball game on the radio. Bacon. I was tempted to stop right there. Bacon. Country music. Coffee. Coffee. Button-up shirts for three-year-olds with popsicles on them. Find my three-year-old son, read today, and you'll see what I mean. Pigtails. Oh, my gosh. When Avery has pigtails, I forget everything else on earth or in heaven above, and all I can think about is her pigtails. You see where I'm going with this? Swimming when it's 100 degrees outside, laughter, boats, really green grass or scentsy wax that smells like really green grass. Thank you, Mrs. Beeman. Playing catch with my son, hunting with my son, and a million other things. Okay, here's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, find these things in your life and find enjoyment in them. Rejoice in them. Now, we should add something. We need to add something here. And some of you are already ahead of me. A good Christian might get uneasy at this point. Right, and say, hold on, hold on. Does this glorify God? We're, we're not hedonists after pleasure. We are Christians after God. And that is absolutely true. And here's where the difficulty in this relationship with the things of this earth comes in. Some of us, good Christians, right, you kind of resist that talk. And it makes you nervous when I talk like that. And well, hang on. We're not just after pleasure. Isn't that what Solomon was doing in chapter 1 and 2? I mean, we are after God. We're not supposed to be satisfied in stuff. We're not supposed to be satisfied in the things of this earth. We're supposed to be satisfied in God. So let's make sure that we add something here. That Solomon, of course, assumes. Enjoy life to the glory of God. So we have to figure out how that works. Enjoy life to the glory of God. Enjoy the things of earth to the glory of God. That's what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So we're being told by Solomon to enjoy in this vain life, to enjoy life and all that is in it to the glory of God. So think about this with me. Think about this charge. You, right now, where you sit, you are being exhorted to enjoy your life and all that is in it To the glory of God. Can you do that? Are you ready for that? Any questions pop into your head? Lots of questions pop into my head. What if you are enjoying life, but not in a way that glorifies God? That's certainly possible. What if you are suffering today? What if you are grieving today? What if you are in pain today? And you're not enjoying your life. What if you have wealth and possessions, which, by the way, most of, if not all of you, do? 
What if you have wealth and possessions and you still don't have joy? Or what if you have wealth and possessions, but you struggle to enjoy them because of guilt? Think about it. Think about what Solomon is calling us to. Many people, in my experience, and I'm convinced, Christians who don't know how to handle the good gifts that God gives us. I have so much, you might think, and I am enjoying my life, sort of. But I feel guilty for having so much. And I feel guilty for enjoying my life. I feel like I should get rid of what I have. Then I feel guilty for wanting to get rid of what I have. And I just need to go on a mission trip or something. These are common thoughts. So the answer to all those thoughts and questions, it's right here, I think, in verses 18 through 20. There is a key, if you will, here. So let's read verses 18 through 19 again. And we're asking the question, if he's telling us to enjoy your life to the glory of God, enjoy the things of earth to the glory of God, I want to know, how do, how do I do that? I've got all those questions, and so how do I do this? How do I enjoy this life and all that is in it to the glory of God? So let me give you the answer, and then let's see it in the text. This is the answer, and it may sound simple, but it's biblically profound. The answer is, receive this life and all that is in it as a gift from God. That's the key. That's the key. And that's the point Solomon will make over and over again. It is, get this into your head, Solomon is saying. Your life and all that is in it is a gift to you personally, to you, designed for you from God. Verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. So that's on the one hand, toil. Hard, painful life. Hard, painful work. But you're eating food. You're drinking drink. It is all, verse 18, a gift from God. And then the first part of verse 19, there's another side. Maybe it's not toil for you. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. God, there's the phrase again. God has given. Where do the, if you have wealth and you have possessions, where do the wealth and where do the possessions come from? God. That means you don't deserve them. It's a gift. Something undeserved given to you by God. It means that you, despite what we might think, it means that we would not have them if it wasn't for God. You have wealth and possessions. They have been given to you by God. So what is Solomon saying? He's clearly telling us that this life, your life, and all that is in it is a gift from God. And we must receive this life and all that is in it as a gift from God. So let's take that truth. And now let's lay it over our questions and our problems and see how that helps. What about the life that is all toil? That's how you feel this morning. My life is toil. There's no wealth. There's no possessions. It's hard, painful life. It's hard, painful work. Maybe you're suffering right now. Maybe you are in pain right now verse 18 
That's you. Your life is toil. And you might think to yourself, how can I possibly enjoy my life? How can I enjoy when I have so little? Well, let me read you a couple other texts that might be helpful. Philippians 4.11, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So what if you're suffering today and you're not enjoying life? Solomon exhorts us to. Paul seems to be able to. Scriptures like Psalm 65 says, Lord, you crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon trucks overflow with abundance. Lamentations 3 says that his loving kindness and his tender mercies are new every morning. But do you have eyes to see them? Do you have eyes to see them? I find that when I'm feeling like there is nothing good and there are no gifts and life is not enjoyable, it's just not true. I'm just not seeing them. I'm not seeing the simple gifts that God has given me every day. Like my heart is beating right now. My heart is still beating. I'm doing nothing to promote that. I'm breathing air in and I'm breathing air out. I'm in an air-conditioned building with friends and with family. I know I'm going to eat today. I know I'm going to eat tomorrow. I know I'm going to drink. I know I might cool off in a swimming pool this afternoon. There might be a cool breeze. I know without a doubt that tonight I can watch the sunset again. And if I want to get up early enough tomorrow, I can watch the sun rise again. I know I'm going to hear one of my kids laugh this afternoon. I'm going to see my wife smile. What are you taking for granted? He's not belittling your suffering. He's not belittling my suffering. Remember, Paul says we're people who are sorrowful, yet what? Always rejoicing. So we're sorrowful and rejoicing at the same time. As we receive this life and the things in it as gifts from God. What about this? Maybe that's not your life this morning. Maybe your life isn't full of toil. Maybe your life is full of wealth and possessions. Maybe you're in verse 19. And again, I would venture to say that 90% of you are in verse 19. Our problem is not that we have no wealth and no possessions and we're just eking by, eking an existence and we have to figure out how to enjoy this life. That's not the problem for most of us. Okay, our issues are going to come along with, what do I do with all the stuff that I have? How do I enjoy this in a way that brings honor and glory to God? That's, that's our struggle. So verse 19, this is where we find ourselves. What does he say? Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. So we stop right there. Your Christian, your wealth and your possessions, whatever degree that is, they are a gift from God. Which should lead to, what should a gift lead to? Gratitude and thankfulness and enjoyment. Why do you give a gift to someone? I hope you give a gift to someone so that they will enjoy the gift that you have given them. And I hope that you take pleasure when you give someone a gift and they enjoy your gift. 
So here we go. We're back on the fence, right? So here we are on the fence and we can fall off on either side. God has given us wealth and possessions. And on the one side is idolatry and on the other side is ingratitude. And the answer to both is remembering that everything you have is a gift from God. You can either fall off on one side in idolatry and worship the gift. Or you can fall off on the other side and ignore the gift. Possessions, wealth is not a bad thing. Worshiping them is. Let's look more closely at both sides of that fence. Let's make sure we understand this. Idolatry. Idolatry is on the one side. This is where I just separate the gift from the giver. I just ignore the giver. I enjoy the stuff. I enjoy this life. But I forget about God. I'm not grateful to God. I'm not thankful to God. I might even think that the good things that I have are because of me and not because of God. Deuteronomy 8 warns against this. Beware lest you say in your heart. My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Beware, don't say that. But I worked hard and I saved. You did work hard and you did save. And none of that was apart from God. And ultimately, the only reason it has gone well is because of God. So Deuteronomy warns and says, don't say that. Don't say that my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So that's one mistake that we can make. We can enjoy the stuff divorced from God. We can forget about God. We can think that we have the stuff because it's all our doing. And we're not thankful, we're not grateful. So you're enjoying your life, but you are not enjoying your life to the glory of God. But here's the other problem. And that's important, idolatry is important. But the other problem that I think is talked about far less, but is equally an error, is that we don't forget about God, but we forget about the gift It's ingratitude. We don't enjoy the gifts that God has given us. We feel in 21st century Americans, I said this word earlier, struggle so badly with this spiritually, we feel guilty. We look around and we feel guilty. We have a hard time enjoying some of those things I listed earlier. We we stop enjoying those things and think it would be more eternally beneficial for my heart and soul to go and study my Bible and pray right now. Or go do something productive. I need to get back to work. And just slowing down and resting And thanking God for his gifts and enjoying the gifts that he has given you for some of you. It's very difficult. That'd be the other side of the fence. Where you never enjoy anything. Think of it this way. Think of a child who's given a gift. And on one side is idolatry and on the other side is ingratitude. Both bad. So this one's more obvious to you and probably has been your experience. There's the child who is given a gift and just tears into the gift. 
rips the gift open, doesn't say anything, grabs the gift, runs to his room, locks the door, and you don't hear from him for the rest of the day. Okay, you, know, you know that kid, or you were that kid, or you are that kid. That's idolatry, right? It's disconnected from the giver. Parents, what do you teach your kids to say? What's the first thing they do when they open the gift? Right? They say thank you to whoever gave them the gift. They say thank you. They write a thank you note if they're not there. So you know, you understand the idolatry. It's all about the gift. I don't care who gave it to me. I don't care who they are, where they are. I got the gift. This is what I want. It's all about that. If you enjoy your life and the gifts that God has given you that way, God is not glorified. But then there's another kid. I know this kid doesn't exist. But this is often what Christians do as we struggle to enjoy the gifts that God has given us. Can you imagine a child being given a gift and just looking at the gift wrapped and saying, no, I don't want this gift. Giving it back to mom and dad and saying, you're the gift. <laughs> like, that's Twilight Zone. That's not... That's not reality, but, but this is what Christians often do with God. I appreciate, this, I appreciate the sentiment here, but the only thing I need is my relationship with you, Mom. So take it back. Now let me ask you this as a parent. Would you be pleased with that response? No. No. At the end of the day, that's not grateful for the gift that I gave you. I gave you this gift. Why do you give the gift? To be enjoyed. Why does God give you gifts? To be enjoyed. Why did he create a material world with material things? Why did he give you those five senses you learned about in grade school? Why did he give that to you? Why is the new heavens and the new earth also a material world? Because God wants to lavish his people. He wants to give us gifts to enjoy. What is Solomon calling us to do? Enjoy them. To enjoy them. To be the child that opens up the gift and looks at mom and dad and says, Thank you. Thank you. And then goes and enjoys the gift. And you give them a new football and mom or dad, you're, you're pleased, you're happy as you look out the window and you see your son throwing the football. And he doesn't have to come in every two minutes and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, are you not thankful anymore? What's good? This is totally dis- You don't think like that. You want him to enjoy the gift. Gratitude. Gratitude. And where does gratitude come from, Christian? In receiving your life and all that is in it as a gift from God. A gift from God for your enjoyment. Let me close with a scripture and then another quote. Here's some help for us to balance on this fence. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, so all your ears should go up now. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything. And do you know what it says next? To enjoy. This isn't Solomon's message. This is God's message. So there's a warning. I don't want to be proud. I don't want to set my hope on these gifts. But I want to enjoy them. And get everything I can out of them. To please God. To glorify God. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. This is, this is what gratitude does. It makes you generous. Guilty does not make you generous. Guilty makes you generous enough to give to where you don't have guilt anymore. 
Gratitude makes us generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And Joe Rigney says in his book called The Things of Earth, it's entirely appropriate, he says, when confronted with tremendous gifts, which we have, to periodically compare love for the gifts and love for the giver. It's good to be reminded that the giver, God, is ultimate. But then, once the supremacy of the giver is settled, the right and fitting response is to dive back into the pumpkin crunch cake and enjoy every last bite. So you thank God before you eat your meal, I hope, or things like that. And then you enjoy the meal. And then maybe you thank God after the meal. You wake up in the morning and you thank God for the breath in your lungs and the responsibilities ahead of you. And then you go and you do your thing and at the end you remind yourself of all God's gifts through the day. You come here or a church every Sunday and you remind yourself that God is the great giver and everything you have is from him. And then you run outside as he watches you through the window and you enjoy whatever gifts he has given you so that he would be glorified, so that he would be praised. Life is vanity. Enjoy it. All of life is vanity, and yet those who fear God are able to enjoy it as they know and trust in the greatness and goodness of God. And now we add this, receiving this life and all that is in it as a gift. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, will you help us to balance this will you help us God we desire and want to love you with all of our heart mind soul and strength and we do not want to love the things of this world more than you we do not want to worship or praise or adore anything other than you we also God want to receive whatever gifts you have given us and enjoy them to your glory, free from guilt, would you help us, God? If we have been enjoying this life and forgetting you, would you bring conviction right now? And if we have not been enjoying the gifts you have given us, will you convict us now? You have missed out on glory, God. And we confess it as sin and ask you to forgive us and to help us to see every good gift from above and to enjoy it to its fullest as we love and worship you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.